This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, and so it's Mayor's Monday here on WHMP. And our guest today is the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. There has been an enormous controversy in Greenfield. For those of our listeners who don't live in that area of our listenership, uh, of our listenership, and I, what I would like to do, uh, Madam Mayor, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. What I'd like to do is tell the story in brief, and then you can certainly feel free to correct uh, or add to whatever parts I leave out. Uh, the question today that I'm going to get to is, really, there won't be any police on the streets of Greenfield? There'll be no cruisers? There'll be no coverage in the midnight to 8 o'clock shift? That is on the table, and I think it is scheduled to go into effect soon, like within a week or so. We'll come to that question. Let me try to tell the story for our listeners who haven't followed it closely because it raises all sorts of issues about what is the role of the police, what is the role of, of uh, elected officials, what is the proper funding, what is public safety, what should it be in 2023. So let me go back and try to tell this story in summary fashion. There was a lawsuit brought by a former, and I believe the only black officer in the Greenfield Police Department, his name is Patrick Buchanan, and he sued the city for discrimination in denying him a promotion in 2020. That case went to trial in Hampshire County. It was transferred from Franklin County, I think simply because there was, wasn't a jury session in Franklin the month it was scheduled to go to trial. And that trial occurred in the spring, I believe, April of 2022. Again, Buchanan against the city of Greenfield and the police chief, uh, Robert Haig. And the jury came back and found for the plaintiff, Patrick Buchanan, the jury awarded him $92,930 in back wages, $92,000, almost $93,000, $350,000 in emotional distress damages. Added on to that is the interest and attorney's fees for the plaintiff and the total amount that is due from the city's insurance company to uh, Patrick Buchanan and his lawyers totals about a million dollars, a little over a million dollars. So... That's the beginning of this story. In response to that, the city council in May, the following month, cuts the police budget by some $425,000, $400,000 from the uh, line item for personnel expenses, another $25,000 for costs, and was, as I understand it, a direct response, we are going to hurt the police, we're not going to have as much policing, we're going to have alternatives to policing in Greenfield, we are going to hurt the police department and going to re require that the police reform and the, the budget cut will be $400,000 to the personnel. In response to that, the mayor and the police chief, uh, Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner, Police Chief Robert Haig, inform the council that there would be eight positions <clears throat> To, uh, eliminated from the Greenfield Police Department. That's eight out of 34 officers. That's a lot. And in response to that announcement, uh, certain actions are taken. One uh, high-ranking, high-salaried uh, officer uh, says 
she'll uh, retire or go on leave so there'll be more money for junior officers. There is some budget finagling that goes on. The number of positions that will be cut, cut, it turns out, would be actually, I think, three the last time we talked about it instead of eight. Then, last week, I believe Wednesday or Thursday evening, at the City Council of Greenfield, the mayor, who was on the phone with us, Roxanne Wiedegardner, and the police chief, Robert Haig, informed the council that soon, because there is insufficient number of police officers available, there will be no officers on the streets or on patrol in the midnight to 8 o'clock shift. None. Zero. And that the state police will, in a minimal kind of level, take over those responsibilities, but really not much. They're not going to be on the streets of Greenfield. And that caused an enormous uh, uh, pushback from the city council who said, wait a second, we didn't know anything about this. Why is this happening to us? How can we not debate this? How can this be? And I think that kind of brings us up to date. Would you like to add or subtract or modify what I said, Madam Madam Mayor, in terms of the description of where we are today? Sure. Probably some of all of the above, as subtract and uh, correct. Just two, you're largely correct in your your uh, synopsis. Thank you for that. Uh, there are a couple of um, corrections I'd like to make. Sure. Uh, the midnight shift is 11 to 7. It's a minor issue. Uh, um, not 8 o'clock in the morning, but 11 at night to 7 a.m. Um, there are three shifts that the the city operates. So it's it's that one. It's um, 7 to 3 and then 3 to 11 um, with two police uh, minimum police two police officers per call um so and that's a standard that we use as a safety standard both for the police officers and for anybody they may be interacting with on any given call um so that's one correction um patrick buchanan's lawsuit actually began long before 2020 um i don't remember off the top of my head this morning the snowy morning um, that what exact date, but it, it it was some five to seven years ago. So that's been working its way through the courts and through the negotiation, you know, through lawyers for for some time now. Um, and, and it does include uh, 2020 uh, promotion um, that was he did not receive. So that part is accurate. Um, let me see. What can I add? Uh, the most important thing I think. For people to know is that uh, cutting the midnight shift was the least bad option of a situation where there were no good choices. We uh, made a choice. When I say we, that was Chief Haig, Deputy Chief uh, Gordon, who was acting chief at the time, and myself. Uh, last spring, we made a, a decision to... Um, keep as many police officers on uh, as we could, meaning not go do the layoffs immediately, uh, because we knew that there would be some attrition throughout the year. And the summertime, the summer and early fall, are very, very important times to have a full police force, all three shifts, as much as we possibly can. Uh, 
so, and I say that because of just a lot more activity on the streets and the many uh, festivals that we have that require police policing as well as police detail and that sort of thing. So that's how we proceeded with the budget we had that was $400,000 left, knowing that at some point in the near, in the future, we would get to a point where we, in essence, were out of money. And um, because there was attrition, uh, we were able to maintain it uh, pretty much up through uh, early January. Um, We were anticipating two additional retirements that would net us some additional money in the leftover in the budget. Um, And those retirements would likely be in January. One of them has occurred, and that is the retirement of um, uh, Lieutenant um, uh, Dan McCarthy, sorry. (laughs) And the next one is um, uh, Sergeant Rice, um, David Rice, and I believe if that hasn't happened already, it's imminent. Uh, So we can't really, we can't, we couldn't count on that money until we knew that they would be retiring. Let me ask you this. And, um, Let me ask you this, Madam yeah. Mayor, if I might. Um, uh, I understand that there's, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's budgetary issues here. What I don't understand, right. what I don't understand uh, is if this was getting to a crisis situation where the $400,000 uh, was now going to result in what a dramatic decrease in police yeah coverage in Greenfield, why that wasn't a matter front page with you in front of the council every week saying, you've got to restore the $400,000 or we're going to lose our uh, third shift, our 11 to 7, 11 o'clock at night to 7 a.m. shift. Um, We have got to get the $400,000 back in the budget or some semblance of it. Or that didn't happen. You didn't do that because uh, the budget, the, the restoration of the money would not have meant more people, more police officers. What, what, what's the reason you didn't go back to the council? That is a good and fair question, and I will try to answer it as best I can. First of all, it should not have come as a big surprise to the council uh, that an option uh, of one of the least best options would occur. Uh, they were, the Public Safety Commission was told by Deputy Chief, then Acting Chief uh, Gordon, uh, in May, um, shortly after the budget um, cuts were put in place, as to what many of the options were, but how we were going to proceed, which is what I just previously stated to you. And then in a subsequent uh council meeting thereafter so within a few weeks if not a couple not you know within a week or two i don't remember the exact date of the june council meeting but let's say within a two to three weeks um they were the city council was apprised of the potential impacts of what they had done so uh you're right that was not brought forward because as i said we attempted to work through it until we couldn't get there, you know, till we couldn't, till we exhausted all of our money. We cannot, we are not allowed to spend in deficit. Um, 
in, in any department other than DPW from time to time in their snow and ice budget. So uh, this is um, something that was brought forward to the council uh, the at the other night's meeting, but underlying that and other information that was brought forward was the fact that we were notified in October that we had received a, a what they call a Department of Justice grant, a COPS grant. That's uh, an acronym uh, that I don't remember what it stands for, but it's called the DOJ COPS grant. And it is strictly for staffing of police office, uh, police departments throughout the country. Very competitive grant. We asked for 900000 to basically restore as many. Uh, right now we are down to, with attrition, we're down to 26 officers, I believe it is, 26 or 28 officers and uh, from the 34. Um, so uh, we received $300,000, which is a great help. It took us a while. That was We were notified in October. However, we did not receive the official notification and award letter until sometime in December. So again, not wanting planning for, but not wanting to promise money that we didn't have. Um, but we did accept the grant in October. Okay, so I, 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 I'm now, now I'm more confused. I'm sorry, but I am. Well, uh, here, here's, here's what I want to know. Uh, maybe you could uh, uh, help me out here. Are you looking, does the city, in your judgment, need to have the uh, police budget restored, or do you have enough money, does the police department have enough money with the COPS grant f- to pay for those officers on that third shift? Uh, or is or, or is, is this something other than a financial issue, or is, it, or is the money now available? Well... Is a little more complicated than a simple yes or a simple no. That money will go, the 300000 will go a long way towards helping um, supplement the $400,000 cut. However, in order to restore the um, midnight shift, we will, because we have to hire those officers. So they can't, we can't just go out and pluck them off the street today. We have to go through the entire hiring process. That will take some time. They have, we have to hire officers that have been trained, or we have to hire officers that need to go to the academy. Uh, because of police reform, we no longer can hire what they call officers who have been to the bridge academy. Police reform eliminated the bridge academy. I don't want to go into the weeds on what that is, but it was a way to hire officers and put them into the academy while also allowing them to work on a temporary basis based on uh, whether or not they uh, graduated from the academy. So uh, we can't do that. So that's the issue. There's one of the issues right there. Um, to re- we continue, and the police chief continues to work, even though he delivered that message, he continues to work with um, with his own police force because everything is subject to negotiation um, and uh, and me uh, to attempt to find additional supplemental money um, so that we don't uh, that we can get through the rest of the fiscal year 
and restore the midnight shift. However, at this point in time, I can't uh, tell you that we have resolved that issue. Uh, But just the people that are listening, uh, and you should know that those conversations continue to go on. And and that's where I'll have to leave that. Did that help? So we will we will definitely um, we are I will say we will do our best to get that shift covered. Um, And we are talking with council leadership about that. So um, I will um, I'll have to leave it at that because I don't have a definitive answer. I expect to hear from the finance director and um, police chief Hag uh, this morning after I get off this call, most likely. Like emails are coming in. <laughs> we are speaking with Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and continue this conversation on the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Get down with your hometown, a free online music festival featuring local and national artists and benefiting North Star, the Institute for Musical Arts, and the Shea Theater, Saturday and Sunday, January 28th and 29th. Some of our featured artists include the Indigo Girls, Rachel Price, Jamie Kent, Chris Smither, Martin Sexton, Suitcase Junket, Elon Jewell, Winter Pills, June Millington, and more. Tune in, getdownhometown.com. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. They say that the one constant in life is change, and while that might be true for most things, one thing that hasn't changed is the great meal and great time you're always going to have at Roberto's in downtown Northampton. Stop by six nights a week to dine in, hang at the bar. If you don't want to eat in, there's always Roberto's new online ordering system. Just go to robertosnorthampton.com and you can order, pay, and pick up dinner six nights a week. Roberto's is open every day except Tuesdays, right on Pleasant Street in downtown Northampton. And save 30% on the Shop 30 store. My name is Joanne Vanine. I am a CASA worker, court-appointed special advocate for the organization Friends of Children. I first got involved with the CASA program back in 2004. I was still full-time employed at that time as the uh, dean of students at UMass Amherst. The case that inspires me relates to a young man. There were issues of physical abuse. There were issues of drug abuse. Through the advocacy work that I did, this young man was placed with a family 
in Springfield. It was a rocky start. But the good news is that this foster family stepped up and said that they would adopt him. Almost immediately, I began to see the change in him in terms of his own confidence in himself, which clearly derived from a sense of security. And that also was evidenced in the way he performed in school. The really happy ending to this is I got a text message saying to me, look at my report card, and he is on the honor roll. Learn more about becoming a CASA advocate by visiting Friends of Children's offices on Route 9 in Hadley or going to friendsofchildreninc.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner. We are talking about the announcement last week that as things stand today, as of, I believe, February 1st, there will be no third shift cruisers or officers on the street in Greenfield. And as I understand it, Madam Mayor, if this comes to pass, the responsibilities, the law enforcement responsibilities for those hours in Greenfield uh, would fall to the state police. And the response of the state police is, we will cover life or death matters, but we will cover life or death matters only. If someone calls and says, I need a police officer, and the question is, is someone's life in danger? And the answer to that is, that question is no. The state police are not going to respond, and the Greenfield police are not going to be available. Is, is that a fair summary of uh, the, the significance, the importance, the dangers that are posed by this situation? Yes, it is. Sadly. Okay. So you've told us about the issues with regard to hiring. Is it possible with enough money to cover these shifts with overtime from officers who are on staff in the Greenfield Police Department? I'm sorry. I, I got distracted. Would you please? Sure. What, what I want to know is if there's enough money, could the shifts be covered? I understand there's a shortage of personnel, but other officers could take overtime with enough money can the Greenfield police get from where you are today uh, to the place where more officers are hired and there's regular staffing available? Is it possible for the Greenfield police to cover this shift? Well, as I, I think I indicated in uh, your previous segment, any of that type of thing is subject to negotiation. So as I said, the chief is attempting to negotiate, uh, or actually not attempting, he is the negotiating with his the unions that are involved and that would be the supervisory union and the patrol officers union so um you know they 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 are assigned to their shifts so uh, is overtime available i can guarantee you that um we are also very nearing our budget for overtime uh, and again we can't spend what we don't have and that's over time that has been logged up uh, between May of, or June of this year, this past year, June of 22, and now. Um, vacations, uh, sickness, injured on duty, all of those call-outs require, could re result in putting a different officer in that other officer's place, uh, and it may be an overtime situation. That's just, just kind of the way it works. So. Um, it's possible that we, and I have great hope that we will resolve this issue by February 1st. But, um, I, as I said before, I can't, I can't guarantee you that today. I wish I could, I wish I could let you be the one to break the news, but I'm, it, it's not going to happen today. 
meaning I'm not going to be able to tell you that. It seems to me that this issue is very serious from a public safety point of view. The state police would be dispatching for this very limited number of urgent calls, and the dispatch would be made from the Shelburne Falls barracks. That's that's a bit of a trek to Greenfield to get there. So it's an at best imperfect solution, even for those dire calls. And then Mm -hmm. there's, I mean, it's kind of an invitation uh, uh, for Greenfield to be vulnerable. Uh, it's not. It's 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 not a secret. It's totally public. Uh, the possibility of no police presence from eleven to seven is, is this causing you sleepless nights? Oh yes, <laughs> I'm afraid it is, and it's causing the chief sleepless nights as well. Um, that is why we continue to work on it. Uh, what I want to make clear is when the city council decided last year. Um, to cut $425,000 out of the salary line item, the largest share of that money, 400000 and 25000 out of various other contractually obligated expenses. So we, they can choose to ignore that. We cannot. Um, they did not uh, inquire prior to that vote as to what the impact would be. So we were not able to convey to them the potential impacts for them to even consider whether cutting that would be a smart thing to do. It was a reactionary cut on their part without any basis for making that decision apart from their own agenda or whatever it was that they said at the time, sending a message. Um, if you fire the chief, if you fire Captain uh, Lieutenant McCarthy, if you fire somebody else, like Todd Clark, for whatever reason, none of those things could happen. That salary line item, again, was uh, had to be reduced from if in no other way than not um, because we are a last. The contract says last hired, first fired. Madam Mayor, I know you have to run and you have, obviously, enormous responsibilities today. But one last question for you. Do, do you, do you, two parts, do you wish, part one, and part two, can you still do this? Uh, do you wish you'd gone back to the city and say, we are facing a very dire situation here. We need more money. And the follow-up really is, is that still a possibility for you to go back to the council to request more money, a supplemental budget for this uh, line item for the police budget? Uh, The answers, short answers, are yes and yes. Um, You know, we have to, I have to make a lot of decisions. Uh, We could possibly have made that decision a little sooner. We were anticipating working it out in a different way so that we could, um, and that didn't happen. So we had to at least inform them of what the potential would be while we continued to work on it um, after the council meeting. And yes, um, in a manner of speaking, we can go back to them for a supplemental budget. I don't know where the money would come from. I have to create the financial order and I have to say, you know, you're going to take X from here, Y from here, 
Z from there. Um, and these are different places where there may be some money to supplement it. So um, the finance director and I uh, are working on that piece of the puzzle as we speak, or will be in a matter of probably a half hour. <laughs> and as I understand what we just said, this is essentially uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul. It would have to come from other budgets. There's not a reserve fund or a rainy day fund well, or an emergency have, fund. Something. Um, that, it would have to come from other other reserve funds. No, we would not and cannot take money from other departments in order to do that. No, we would have to look at other types of reserve funds in order to make that happen. Um, and, and that includes uh, using ARPA money as well. So so that is always a possibility. And final question. I know I keep saying that. I'm sorry, but I would really love to have this conclusion. <laughs> if there's money found uh, yeah. available, um, does that money then have to be appropriated into an overtime budget for the police to get you and the city from here to where there was a sufficiently funded and uh, uh, robust enough police department in terms of personnel to cover the shift? Is- it, would, it would not go in uh, to, to an overtime budget. It would go uh, directly to, along with the grant, mind you, which we can access um, as, as soon as we sort of uh, just, you know, resolve the problem. But as I explained, that is, doesn't, re- doesn't result in immediate hiring of officers. Um, with the grant and um, other uh, options for getting money that don't include taking it from some other department, which we can't do, um, we can fund uh, police officers through uh, the end of uh, May uh, I'm sorry, end of June with the July, uh, hoping that the council will fund, fully fund the police department uh, for FY24, which begins in um, July 1. So it is a, anything that we do uh, starting today uh, would be a temporary fix that would take us through June 30th. But the vote, the budget is voted on in May. We're going to leave it there. We have been speaking with the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. We thank you so much for all your time today, Madam Mayor. Thank you. I'm happy to be able to explain this. And and good luck in getting this resolved. Thanks so much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner is facing criticism after the police chief announced the department would cease patrols between midnight and 7 a.m. beginning February 1st and instead rely on state police during those hours. Council Vice President Christine Forgey. The mayor is responsible ultimately for all decisions that happen within her department. And if it's a decision that she's not happy with, then my opinion is she needs to instruct her department heads to come up with other solutions and do it sooner rather than later. Councillor Mariana Bullock was also critical of the police chief. It just seemed there was not appropriate planning in place. I can't see how 
a department head in a leadership position would come to the council floor with this as the only option. The meeting ended with councillors voting no confidence in the police chief and narrowly failing to pass a vote of no confidence in the mayor. More than 100 people showed up for a rally in Northampton on what would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Alice Jenkins, a junior at Hampshire Regional High School, organized this year's event. Speakers included State Rep. Lindsay Sabadosa and Congressman Jim McGovern. No word yet on the cause of a two-alarm fire in Amherst early Saturday night. Crews were called to the corner of Potwine Lane and Southeast Street just before 5 p.m. No one was home at the time of the fire, but several calls from neighbors were made to Amherst police. No injuries were reported. For today, any rain and snow will change over to just plain snow as we head through the morning and into the afternoon, looking at 1 to 3 inches accumulation in the lower Pioneer Valley with 4 to 6 inches to the north and west. Highs 32 to 36. Tonight, chance for evening flurries and snow showers, then gradual clearing. Overnight lows 24 to 28. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny and breezy. Highs around 40. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El gobierno de Estados Unidos se topó con su límite de deuda el jueves, lo que llevó al Departamento del Tesoro a tomar medidas contables extraordinarias para evitar el incumplimiento, ya que las fricciones entre el presidente Joe Biden y los republicanos de la Cámara generaron preocupación sobre si Estados Unidos puede eludir una crisis económica. El Departamento del Tesoro dijo en una carta a los líderes del Congreso que había comenzado a tomar medidas extraordinarias, ya que el gobierno se había topado con su capacidad legal de endeudamiento de 31.3 billones de dólares. Hasta ahora, los mercados se mantienen relativamente tranquilos, dado que el gobierno puede depender temporalmente de los ajustes contables para permanecer abiertos y cualquier amenaza a la economía estaría a varios meses de distancia. Incluso muchos analistas preocupados asumen que habrá un trato. Pero este momento en particular parece más tenso que los roces anteriores con el límite de la deuda debido a las amplias diferencias entre Biden y el nuevo presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, quien preside un grupo republicano inquieto. Esas diferencias aumentan el riesgo de que el gobierno pueda incumplir sus obligaciones por razones políticas. Eso podría sacudir los mercados financieros y hundir a la economía más grande del mundo en una recesión prevenible. En otras informaciones, casi dos horas después de reunirse a puerta cerrada, la Junta de Gobierno de la Compañía Eléctrica de Puerto Rico salió el jueves para anunciar brevemente que aprobaba un plan para privatizar la generación eléctrica en la isla. No se proporcionaron otros detalles, incluido el nombre de la empresa seleccionada o cuánto se le pagará, ya que los puertorriqueños están cada vez más enojados y exasperados con el secreto que rodea el impulso para privatizar la operación y el mantenimiento de las unidades de generación de energía eléctrica. La red eléctrica de Puerto Rico ha sido inestable durante mucho tiempo debido a la falta de mantenimiento e inversión. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our segment, the SciTech Cafe with Mount Holyoke College Professor of Physics, Kirsten Nordstrom, who has with her and us today a very special guest who will be presenting at the actual SciTech Cafe. Kirsten, the microphone's yours. All right. So we have Professor Andre White, uh, who's a professor of biology at, also at Mount Holyoke. Um, and this is going to be on Wednesday, um, January 25th at Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton. And the title of his talk is When Enough Isn't Good Enough, The Role of, Hippocampus, of the Hippocampus in Reward Learning. 
Uh, so we're going to hear a bit about neuroscience and brains and I don't know. Uh, Andre, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on? Well, of course. <laughs> um, so first of all, thank you for having me. Um, in general, it's just a conversation about how the brain processes reward. So things we look forward to, things that motivate us to uh, repeat behaviors. Um, I do research in rodents, so I work with rats. And these rats are kind of like people in a lot Did of Did Christian ways. get you to come here directly from central casting today? <laughs> <laughs> the stereotypical scientist. Yeah. Hi, I work with rats. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just like Pinky in the Brain. It's... <laughs> but like part of the reason it's stereotypical is because rats are like people in a lot of respects. And so for my research, rats... They love sugar just like we do. If you if they expect to get a high dose of sugar, they perform whatever behavior you ask them in order to get that high dose of sugar. And then if you reduce the amount of sugar, so switch from full calorie soda to diet soda, they behave differently. They get frustrated. They do not like when you cut their sugar. And so that frustration is what I study. Um, and what that frustration leads to in terms of like their decision making. Um, so highlight of the talk is that that frustration can lead to cocaine seeking behavior. Whoa. The rats go out and score coke on, with, the, with the corner of the cage. How does that work? Yeah, with their credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> and so essentially this all started from a conversation that I was having with a colleague, uh, Dr. Marta Sabariego at Mount Holyoke, where she studies emotion and frustration. And I study cocaine abuse and drug-seeking behavior. And we wondered, well, what else can that frustration drive animals to do? And for animals that have a history of taking cocaine, if they haven't had cocaine in a long period of time, they honestly don't seek it that much. But if you frustrate them, give them that stress by just cutting the amount of sugar that they intake, they'll go back to drug-seeking behaviors. Wow. And so... I what the one thing I don't actually understand is um, what are all the brain structures involved? Like I don't know. This is the hippocampus. Where is that? What is that? What's the amygdala? What's is this the limbic system? These are I, all excellent uh, questions. Uh, okay. So when people think of learning and memory, they often go back to the hippocampus, and that's in part because back in the fifties there were lesion studies where People had lobotomies, and they found out if you're, you remove the hippocampus, people have a difficult time remembering basic facts. Hippocampus being a part of the brain. Yes. And so, see, you you should be the professor. <laughs> <laughs> we're, getting to, we're getting to the limits of my knowledge. Let's not go that far. <laughs> um, and so that understanding of the hippocampus, for some reason, is involved in learning and memory, has slowly evolved over decades to understand, all right, in order to know that you've been cheated of your sugar reward, you have to remember what the original reward was like. You have to have some attachment to the feeling that you had while being on that high reward, that high sugar. And the hippocampus is important for processing some of that reward. Does all this tell you a lot about how addictive behavior works in human beings? The hope is that it would lead to some insight. Um, so actually, I have an experiment that's going on just tomorrow to kind of delve more into this topic. 
And the hope is that by the end of the year, we'll have some more concrete conclusions, interpretations. But down the line, the goal is to understand, one, how the brain allows us to process frustration and how people with different histories of drug use or drugs-associated behaviors um, get affected by that frustration differently than people who don't. That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if we're going to have some reward-seeking behavior on Wednesday. Uh, we do have some prizes for best questions and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. While we're on award-seeking yeah. behavior, why don't you tell us briefly about the SciTech Cafe, where it is again, how it is, who gets to participate, and what the awards are I'm and the to, rewards are. I'm trying to are. figure that out myself. <laughs> no. Uh, it's, uh, so it's this Wednesday. Uh, doors will be open at 6 p.m. We'll start the talk around 6.30 it's at Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton. It is free. Um, even though it's at a brewery, it is all ages. And uh, we will have a, an extensive Q&A, open Q&A with Andre after his talk. And we will be awarding some prizes for best questions selected by the speaker. Um, I'm not sure what the fabulous prizes are, but they will be fabulous. Don't worry about that. Um, there'll be some light food provided. You can bring your own food into the brewery. Um, and you can buy some beer there, of course. I like, love what you just said about all ages, because in the times that I've been to the SciTech Cafe, the best questions, I'm not trying to influence the judge's decision in any way, but the best questions are from the kids mm -hmm. who ask the questions that the adults might be, I don't know, a little reticent or embarrassed to ask, I, and the kids are terrific. No, I agree with you. I think part of the problem with being an adult is that we feel as if we have to know everything in order to ask a question. And I think the earnestness of a child just being, everything is open to questioning. I don't know what a stupid question is. I just want the answer. I think that's refreshing. Yeah, really refreshing. I, I'd be interested to know uh, how long you've been at Mount Holyoke College as, as a professor and what, what, and what brought you to the Valley. I take it the job, but I'm not positive about that. But so talk to us. So I've been at Mount Holyoke since 2016, has really been that long. <laughs> um, and so I initially was brought to the region because my wife moved. Um, so I followed her job um, and I was looking at institutions that kind of mirrored my own um, commitment to science research, but also my values um, to education. Um, and Mount Holyoke was the place. Um, and so it's one of those things where when you go on campus, you learn quickly that it's somewhere where you want to go over and over again. We are speaking with Kirsten Nordstrom, who is the producer, director of the SciTech Cafe, professor at Mount Holyoke College, professor of physics, and Professor Andre White, who is a professor of biology at Mount Holyoke College and will be doing the presentation at the SciTech Cafe this Wednesday. Again, where, Kristen? Uh, this is at Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton. If you haven't been there before, just give yourself a few minutes to find the parking. There are signs. Um, but it is uh, in East Hampton. Uh, it's free to the public. Um, if you want to follow us, you can go to facebook.com slash Cafe or SciTechCafe.org and sign up for our mailing list for any updates. Um, and we're looking forward to seeing everybody on Wednesday. We're going to take a quick break. We'll continue this conversation on the other side. And I promise we're going to find out where the hippocampus is hiding right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
your big day is almost here. After personalizing 160 invitations, selecting custom floral arrangements, designing a drop-dead gorgeous wedding dress, and a gazillion other not-so-small details, you can rest assured that you've chosen the perfect destination. The Roosevelt Room at Union Station, one of New England's most unique wedding banquet facilities. The finest food and services available for a once-in-a-lifetime celebration, second to none. The Roosevelt Room at Union Station, downtown Northampton. You go, girl. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go. Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. We believe in the boundless potential of young people. At Junior Achievement of Western Massachusetts, it inspires our work to prepare Western Massachusetts youth for real-world career and financial success. We offer in-school financial literacy and career exploration programs and after-school young entrepreneur initiatives. JA is committed to the future of youth throughout Western Massachusetts. To learn more about Junior Achievement or to participate as a school, volunteer, or supporter, visit JA wm.org if your spanish-speaking employees spoke better english would that be good for business if your english-speaking employees spoke a little spanish would that be good for business the international language institute delivers workplace language training improving communication among co-workers and with customers you get financial assistance with the massachusetts workplace training express fund they cover 50 to 100 percent of the cost so let's get going call or email the international language institute in downtown northampton Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Garber, former college athlete and now arthroscopic and shoulder surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. I'm proud to be one of the board-certified team of doctors who's ready to tackle any orthopedic or sports injury, from shoulders and elbows to knees and ankles and everything in between. With convenient locations in Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Northampton, you can trust we'll give you the best bona fide care. So visit anyortho.com to schedule your appointment today, because at New England Orthopedic Surgeons, we help get you back in the game. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue on this, our SciTech Cafe segments, our conversation with Professor Andre White, who is a professor of biology at Mount Holyoke College, and with the SciTech Cafe director, Professor Kirsten Nordstrom, professor of physics. During the break, Dan Torres brought up something I didn't know about, but everyone else in the room did. So, Dan, why don't you ask uh, Professor Andre White about this and then I want our listeners to hear. I hope that people will find it as fascinating as I did. Professor, I, I wanted uh, you to tell us uh, that story of the, the park uh, addiction um, with the mouses. Basically, uh, somebody did an experiment, I guess in the 50s. It was just uh, mouses in, inside a, um, uh, a place, and they had water. Wait, and wait, rats or mice? Mice. 
Well, they had rats. They had rats. Okay. Okay. So, well, so they which... had addiction. So they, they gave them two options. It was water and cocaine. And basically in the beginning, first week or two, they drank the water. Then they ran to the cocaine and started drinking the cocaine. Then they liked the cocaine and they enjoyed it. So a Canadian uh, professor replicated this experiment, but this time decided to change the environment of, of, uh, of the rats um, and gave them actual things that rats would enjoy, like balls and, and circular circles, and then tried to see if they were going to rotate from water to cocaine. This is, then this is called what you two discussed as the, the rat's rat park, park experiment. The rat park experiment. Yes, so the underlying theory is that part of what drove the rats to seek this drug of abuse is the fact that they were deprived of positive stimulation. Mm. And so it was that deprivation, um, that lack of what we call enrichment in behavioral research um, that drove them to like pursue the reward in the form of the drug. And so I love that you brought up this point because it kind of ties into my talk, right? So when we think of frustration, we often think of them as small things, like an inconvenience. But a lot of the different frustrating things in our life, whether it's isolation, whether it is not getting something that you're expecting, that can drive drug-associated behaviors, drug-seeking in our daily lives for people who have a history of drug abuse, um, people who have been addicted. And so in part, understanding what is it in our environment and our experiences that can somewhat remove those layers of frustration, that can bring us joy in certain respects, that can ameliorate some of the desire or seeking of this drug-seeking behavior is what I'm trying to understand. Does this translate directly? Uh, this is talk about not asking a good question, but I, <laughs> I, but I would like to know. I mean, you, you're, you're experimenting with rats. Um, and you told us earlier in our conversation that rats are a lot like people, which I think a lot of people nodded. Yeah, that seems right. But does it tell us actually how human beings react or do human be beings actually react to these stimuli in the same way as rats? Well, so in behavioral research, we like to say things are human-like in their behaviors when we observe them in the animal and so the reason I say rats are a lot like people is a lot of the brain structures that rats have, humans have. So that's in part why we're studying them. We both have hippocampus. We both have the amygdala. We both process reward for a rat that might be looking for peanut butter. Um, they don't really love cheese, but they love peanut butter. Oh, blasphemy. Oh, <laughs> oh, breaking Wait, news. And you were saying rats are more like people than mice are because rats are like smarter or... Yeah, and also less anxious. They're oh. they're probably I would <laughs> say I, that <laughs> <yes>. defies <laughs> all experience I have. Well, I would say <laughs> they humans. are closer to cats than probably in my experience closer to mice. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Are rats mean? No, people have rats as pets. Mice are mean. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they'll bite you they don't care about that bond you formed rats you can have as pets at home and they'll crawl on your shoulder and they'll go back in their cage and they act like house cats so all the Disney wow. films about mice are just totally wrong I mean <laughs> like they mice are portrayed as cuddly and I mean they, I think what the moral of that story is be nice to animals animals are <laughs> are important for our ecosystem, um, and that I support. Whether they have, like, the same type of, like, lovability as a dog, I would 
probably not say so. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, we have just a little over a minute left. How long have you been working with rats? So I've worked with rats on and off for five or seven years. Um, I've been working with the mice since 2009. So you have a longer relationship with mice, but a more intense, positive relationship with rats? Yeah. <laughs> Some relationships are like better when they're in that new, fresh stage. New relationship energy, they call it. Yep. Well, this just sounds like a fascinating talk, just fascinating talk. You're going to be talking about the brain structures. You're going to be talking about yeah. – can you give us another 15 seconds on what the focus of your topic will We'll be, be talking about um, how reward loss affects future decision-making, particularly around drug-seeking behavior and cocaine. And so I'd love for everyone to join us there at the SciTalk Cafe. SciTalk Cafe, one more time. Christian Nordstrom, <clears throat> where and That's when? It's going to be Wednesday, uh, January 25th, 6 p.m., Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton. The talk will be around 6.30. Um, free, all ages. Bring your friends, bring your enemies, bring your frenemies. <laughs> we'll see you there. Don't bring, uh, don't bring your rats. We, don't, don't bring, bring, don't your, bring rats, your pet rats. Uh, <laughs> unless it's an emotional support animal. Uh, SciTechCafe.org. If you want to follow us, sign up for the mailing list. Professors Nordstrom and White, thank you both so very much. This has been the SciTech Cafe. Thank you. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Forbes Library is Northampton's public library with an amazing circulating collection of over 325,000 items, including bestsellers, recent releases, tons of movies, large print books, ebooks, audiobooks, and an extensive collection for kids and teens featuring board books, picture books, chapter books, and graphic novels. The library even has musical instruments that you can borrow. You can search the library's catalog online at ForbesLibrary.org, and while you're there, you can request a card and place items on hold. The library's website is also a great place to find out about upcoming programs and events which are always free and open to the public. We have story times, book clubs for kids, teens, and adults, poetry discussions, film discussions, author talks, concerts, movies for grown-ups, and so much more. Visit ForbesLibrary.org for more information and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to Live keep up with all the latest happenings. Talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.